Welcome to the Talent Matters Podcast. Learn how to make the most of talent as a competitive advantage. Navigate today's fast-changing talent landscape and prepare now for the future of work. Here's your hosts, Brian Arzani and Jennifer Erickson. Okay, we are very excited to be back here again with uh, Talent Matters. My co-partner in crime here, Jennifer Erickson. I'm Brian Arzani. We are founders of The Results Group. We are extremely excited today to be talking with someone near and dear to our hearts. Um, I know each one of you are going to fall in love with the mission and what Mr. Meckel does every day. A lot of us would love to go off and do something that mattered maybe once or twice a year. This guy gets to do it every day of the year and has for years. We're excited today to have you on here, Matt. We have watched you, been a part of what you do for at-risk kids, and I'm not going to steal the thunder because, honestly, there's the thunder only belongs to the big guy upstairs at the end of the day, right? I mean, we're just right. instruments in his hands, and we, we pray that we can be a part of it. But, yeah, tell us, Matt, I mean, tell us about you. Tell the listeners where we're going to, you know, I think we're going to have a great, great discussion. Those that are listening today you're in for a treat. But uh, if this is your first time learning about Wildwood, then get ready to strap in. Those of you who know a little bit about it, now you're going to get to see behind the scenes a little bit. So Matt, tell us about you, man. Well, I had uh, worked out a deal with God. I would do whatever he wanted me to do as long as I was filthy rich. So I <laughs> studied how money made more money in college, got a degree in finance. And my plan was to go to dental school and use all the money I made in dentistry to buy real estate got connected to a real estate developer who said he would help me cut the four years of brain damage out at dental school and we could start buying properties right away. So I bought my first property within two months of getting out of college. And and before I started at the ranch, it worked up to just under a million dollars of assets uh, in real estate around the Des Moines area market. After that, uh, our founding board member, said that he would give me the summer off to go help get this nonprofit off the ground. First, I thought he was just trying to get rid of me, but he (laughs) said, uh, no, we've got a place for you in the fall. And uh, we just were short on males and you're male. You're really going to, I'm thinking, man, I'm I'm glad that's the qualification that I have. (laughs) That will uh, set me up for success at this uh, organization. But I came down and served in our first year back in 2001. And I grew up in a house with two parents that loved me like crazy that told me if I'd work hard, there'd be opportunities that would open up for me. And that's pretty much how my life panned out. So I came down to Wildwood Hills Ranch and met a nine-year-old boy on Monday that had pushed a kid with two hands coming off the bus. And I was in charge of discipline that summer. So I knew I was going to get to know this kid really, really well. And because discipline without relationship leads to rebellion and relationship without discipline yields the same result. So uh, we work hard at building really strong relationships so that we can help our students establish the right disciplines or the right rhythms in their life that will ultimately tee them up for success. So this young man pushes, uh, pushes a kid coming off the bus with two hands and, uh, you know, uh, get to know him really well. And we have lots of uh, discussions and some consequences of with choices, decisions and consequences uh, of his, his actions. And 
on Monday and Tuesday. And then Tuesday night, I begin to understand why he behaves the way that he behaves. And a link I love about the results group uh, and Wildwood Hills Ranch is that focus on the why, the what, and the how is so, so crucial and so important. And in my business, most adults only want to deal with the what and the how of behavior and not understand the why behind it. I want you to stop doing this and I want you to start doing that. And uh, without pausing and understanding why the kid is behaving that way to begin with, you can get behavior modification, but you can't get life transformation. And what we're after is lifelong transformation that uh, once the impetus stops, they still uh, behave in a way that is going to ultimately tee them up for success in the future and be contributing members of society. So get to know this kid really well. On uh, Tuesday night, he ends up dropping a letter uh, in my lap uh, because he's nine years old and can't read. Asked me to read this letter to him, and it was a letter from his mom. And that's back when we only had summer programs. We actually don't let our staff refer to us as a camp anymore because we have expanded uh, past that. Our summer programs typically are our students' first interaction with us, uh, but we're working hard in three primary areas. We are a faith-based organization, so we're helping students grow in their faith, helping them take their next step in their faith. Uh, we're helping students take their next step in uh, leadership development, helping them grow as leaders, and then we're helping students take their next step in life skill development and the tools that the results group uh, could not be better uh, equipped and better suited, uh, especially for those, those last two of our key metrics, helping students uh, really just understand who they are and ultimately what they're put on earth to do. And so tell uh, us like about that, this letter, man. I mean, I, yeah, I know, yeah. I know where the story goes, bro, but I'm just telling you right now, this, uh, this moved me when you were down there, this, you know, I'd say, you know, naive, you know, individual like yourself at that time in your life, this young troubled kid, two days into this relationship, he drops a letter in your lap. He says, you got to read this to me. Right. So yep. walk us through that real quick, man. This so is when your heart I, just converted. Yeah. I break the letter open and it is, I thought it was going to be, I hope you're having fun on the horses. I hope you're having fun swimming. And his, his mom uh, lets him know through that letter that she no longer wants to be a family. So she sent him on Monday, mailed the letter that day, gets into my hands Tuesday night. And then uh, Friday, the state comes in and picks him up. So mom drops him Monday, the state picks him up Friday. The kid never goes back home. Uh, I get to go back to my nice life in West Des Moines, Iowa, uh, back to the real estate. And I think about that kid a lot, but it wasn't what I was educated to do. So uh, I'm back in my career. Uh, a guy who owns the local uh, Pella window distributor for Iowa, half of Illinois and the state of Wyoming. I grew up with his boys and now he's helping out with a different nonprofit, but also one of Wildwood's founding board members. And he called me up and said, Matt, I know this organization has been asking you to volunteer for the last two years. You keep blowing them off. I'm not asking you to volunteer. I'm telling you, you're doing it. 
<laughs> my my two sons that are in the military, they refer to that as voluntold. I, I think this was the first voluntold because uh, Chris was in the military as well. And he, he voluntold me to show up. So <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I show up when, when he tells you to do something, you do it. So I show up in, in July. Uh, different child placement coordinator, different referral agency, totally different programs. But the first time that that program uh, was being held at Wildwood Hills Ranch's property. So I was excited to get back down to the grounds, but I was bracing myself for a different culture, different program. And uh, the kid that I read the letter to three years before that shows up in my group of three students that I'm responsible for. So I'm a numbers guy. And there's 20,000 uh, 20, kids in the state of Iowa that qualified for those two programs. And out of those 20,000 students, the kid that impacts me the most shows up in my group of three students. So uh, I'm also a little slow. God has to be really, really clear with me. And uh, I literally calculated the odds and uh, I, I don't play the lottery. I, I, I view it kind of as a voluntary tax and I feel like I pay enough taxes already and uh, don't volunteer to do more taxes, but I actually had a better chance of winning the lottery that year than that young man showing up in my group of three students. So uh, from there, my old boss asked me if I liked my job. I told him that I loved my job, which he said, that's too bad which is not something you say to somebody in North America. Uh, even if you're not happy for them, you say, oh, good for you. Uh, good good for you. you. You like your job. So uh, I was like, what do you mean you're not happy? I, I love my job. He said, well, I was hoping you'd hate your job because I need help down here. And I was hoping you'd quit your job and come and work here full time. So talk about here real quick. I mean, what? tell us the size of the ranch. Tell us, I mean, just take a quick, quick right turn for the, for the listeners yep, here. Yep. Yep. So uh, we're a 400 acre uh, working ranch. We work with uh, about a thousand students and 150 veterans from across the state of Iowa into Illinois. And we get a few out of Nebraska, uh, but our, yeah, our, our goals are to help uh, again, our people grow in their faith, in their lo- leadership and in their life skill development. So um it now really has risk students, correct? Yep, yep, yep. Our kids coming out of vulnerable situations. So uh, I remember one have... time, Matt. I I, was in, I had my boys down there. We got my my company. We got certified on the high ropes. I took my sons down there at the time <laughs> we're high school to practice um, our safety skills on the high ropes course. They've got a fifty foot high rope uh, course down there. It's amazing. So my kids were down there, and they're like, "Dad, this place is awesome. We want to come here." And I said, "Here's the thing." Okay. First thing is you're going to have to go through some really traumatic, bad things. I'm going to have to go to jail and your mom's going to have to become part of the system too. So, you know, and they were, they kind of like looked at me like, what are you talking about? I was like, yeah, you don't get to sign up to come here, guys. This is, this may, this may seem cool, but this is like, you know, God's hand to change the cycle of dysfunction and the most vulnerable population in the world, which is our children. So I, I just, yeah. I wanted you to say, cause some of these folks are listening to this going, okay, so he's going down to this little, you know, farm. No, it's a 400 acre ranch, a, a lake, you know, that, kayaking, paddle boating, some of the best fishing yeah. in the state. We have all kinds of uh, wildlife and deer and wild Turkey and, and I'm biased, but uh, I think it's one of the, the best, 
views and, and locations in the state of Iowa. And how many well. horses are down there? Yeah, you got how large what, your like, herd now? Yeah, we're, we're right at 30 uh, actually right now. So through the winter. And then, then we actually have uh, uh, seven longhorn cattle as well. So nice. uh, that's been a, a, a great addition to what we're doing as well. And we'll talk so. more about some other stuff, but I mean, like the local, you know, uh, grocery store put in a gigantic, you know, organic farm. We've got a greenhouse that's been built down there. These kids plant, harvest, eat their own vegetables that, you know, so it's crazy. Okay. So back to this young man, your employee, your, your boss told you for the second time about yeah. now your life career, right? <laughs> nice. Yep. How, how was that conversation with your, uh, with your uh, beautiful wife and uh, that discussion? Well, I was single at the time. So, oh, okay. So there was no selling yeah, at home yet. Yep. 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 I was just able to, uh, it was uh, quite a haircut on salary to move from the, the for-profit and I'll get it more into this on how do you uh, recruit, train and hire uh, in a nonprofit sector where you can't be as competitive with wages and, and some of that. But uh, you know, I, uh, switched over from, uh, I sold all of my real estate and I wish I could tell you it was because I had this incredible market insight. I knew where things were headed in 08 and 09. I sold out right before the crash, but not because I had any market insight. It was just, I couldn't keep up with the hundred hours I was working at the ranch and do those, uh, the tenants and everybody justice. So I, I sold off all of my property. I rolled it into the house that, that I still live in now and uh, was able to uh, start at the ranch uh, in the fall of 2004 and now in the old crusty guy that has been down here uh, full time since then. So seen it grow a lot. Uh, growth in our business isn't good. Uh, our vision is to help uh, end child abuse and we're in business because uh, bad things are happening to kids that that shouldn't be happening, and uh, you know we're we're a link between uh, families who who have uh, found themselves in crisis and in a situation of, of difficulty, and and our goal is to link them back to uh, I think the two institutions God put in place for the hope of all mankind are the church and the family. And because the family is breaking apart at breakneck rates, uh, puts a lot of pressure back on the church to help uh, really, really help uh, uh, step in. But, you know, our, our students are, are slipping through the cracks and, and uh, uh, are really having a rough time. Uh, and without intervention, they end up in prison or on wealth in, on welfare. Uh, with intervention, we've seen kids become the first in their family history to graduate from high school and go on and attend college and uh, and and really break that. We're about breaking cycles, building leaders, and transforming communities. So uh, we really want to break that cycle of dysfunction, uh, help them replace that. Uh, when when somebody's caught in crisis, they they get caught. The specific cycle we're trying to break is the the crazy cycle, which is pain pursues pleasure. If it's the wrong type of pleasure, it causes more pain, which causes you to pursue more pleasure. Now you are stuck doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome, which Einstein calls insanity. Absolutely. So, so how do how we, yeah. How do kids get identified for the program? And you mentioned it's not a camp anymore. It's a program now. So yeah. 
tell us about how they're identified, how you get to them, and what they what the process is, and how long you work with them. Now, we have uh, 56 partners, uh, both statewide and and uh, into Illinois and Nebraska, that will identify students that uh, have had multiple adverse childhood experiences. So that there's an ACEs study that talks about adverse childhood experiences and how much that affects your mental health, your physical health. I mean, uh, that really is the the lead indicator to figure out um, what outcomes could be later on in life. And uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, Boys and Girls Club, Lutheran Social Services, the Department of Human Services, schools are our favorite partner because they can help us track grades, attendance, and office referrals, which again are, are measurements that will let us know uh, where we need to uh, help our students grow and focus in on, you know, is it some of our students, we've got an education network that will help with a clean handoff to a two-year school, a four-year school, or our employment network is focused on just a clean handoff right to a career because we believe the key to solving poverty is a good job. You can't keep a good job without employable skills, which is our, we start building relationships with our students when they're between eight and 12 so that by the time that they're 13 we can really help hold them accountable to that either education network or that career network that is also the point in which we introduce financial literacy Uh, i get in trouble for oversimplifying but i'm not very smart so i got to keep it pretty simple and at the end of the drill we uh, we think the key to solving poverty is a good job. Uh, you can't keep a good job without employable skills. We ultimately go to school to learn how to trade our time for money. Yep. And hopefully the more education we have, the less time we can spend earning more money. But we very rarely learn what to do with that money once we make it. So that's where we've introduced the the financial literacy piece as well. So our students are not, uh, our, our employment training starts as simple as show up on time and work hard. If you can do those two things, it's going to be hard for you to mess up your life. If you want to be awesome at life, show up on time, work hard, and have a good attitude because then you're actually making your place of employment a better place to be instead of making life miserable for your coworkers. That's awesome. So you get them sometimes as young as eight. Yep. You work with them through. We the work with them until they're eight. Yep. 18, and then that, that goal is a clean handoff to that two-year school or four-year school or right to a career. We get our students for about 2,000 hours, which is one entire work year or an entire uh, or two entire school years. So, you know, we are, yeah, it's one, one work year or two, or two school years. Uh, it's heavy loaded in their teenage years. So w- when they're younger, it really is just about building trust because, I mean, you get a kid who's who's been abused and their walls are incredibly high and people think that's to keep other people out. It's not. Those walls are high to protect themselves. They want to see if people love them enough to climb over the wall and then help. We help build a door or a window. We get some of our football players. I'm going to come in and just break that wall down. Please don't. They need that wall to protect themselves, Uh, love them enough to climb over the wall, help them build a door and a window so that they can learn who to trust and who not to trust. And once they've cracked the door, if somebody 
uh, starts to show themselves untrustworthy, shut the door back and tell them to meet you back at the window uh, before, uh, if they don't do that, uh, they end up in one of two places. They either, oh, uh, we we had a little girl who was a local Madison County girl who was chained to her bed by her dad uh, for four months. And he fed her enough just to keep her alive so he could continue the abuse. And she went from 90 pounds down to 50 pounds. And just, I mean, just, a, it was all over the papers here, just a horrific uh, scene. But w- without intervention, she could end up in one of two places. She en- either ends up running into the arms of anybody that will show her the love that her dad should have given her and yeah. likely gets abused over and over again because of that. Or she ends up with 37 cats and no people in her life because people can't be trusted. Uh, So she ends up in a lonely and isolated uh, place there. So, uh, you know, we're we're working with students to uh, love them enough to meet them right where they're at, but love them enough not to leave them there. So talk about your organizations. How many employees? um, And then. Oh, yeah. yeah. It takes a unique individual to work with at-risk kids, number one, and you have your regular staff, and then you have volunteers as well. That's right. Yep. So we've had as many, yeah, we have, uh, there's 11 of us uh, full-time that uh, work to serve the, uh, you know, 1,150 participants that we serve through our 1,000 children and 150 veterans. And and then we've had as many as 1,500 volunteers in a year that have come through. So the tools that we've been able to use through the results group have transformed how we can train and equip uh, our leaders. It has, uh, I think leadership is about playing chess, not checkers. Management is about playing checkers. And checkers means that I would take my 11 people and whatever task we were trying to accomplish, I would divide by 11 and then try and get people to do something uh, in the same way, even though they all have different gifts and abilities. Now, playing chess makes it much more difficult on me as the leader because I, I, it's simple to divide by 11. But again, Einstein said, if you measure an alligator's uh, worth on its ability to climb trees, you know what good are you really doing? So uh, the tools that we've been able to use through the results group have really helped us play chess and and put people in a position where they're going to be successful, put people in a position where they, number one, where they better understand themselves, and number two, understand how they're impacting uh, the whole organization, and, and ultimately, how are they utilizing, leveraging their skills and their abilities and their talent to to accomplish our mission. You know, being a charitable organization, you face many of the same issues that normal businesses or organizations face when recruiting, but then you face additional ones. You mentioned earlier, I want to circle back to that about, uh, you know, you guys can't afford some of the high salaries. What, what are some other obstacles you guys run into when it comes to recruiting full-time staff? Right. Well, yeah, the the biggest barrier is, you know, how do you uh, make certain that they have a, a living wage that they can, uh, you know, raise a family and 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 do all the things. So we have to get creative on on how we 
you know, offer other perks and, and we've got seasons that are really, really intense that nobody can take time off. And, uh, but then we, we work throughout, uh, other seasons and, and, uh, you know, using flex time and some other creative things to, uh, to really help keep our people engaged. And, um, but, but I tell you that the thing that why we get people to stay a long time is not because of huge salaries it's because of how we're helping them grow as leaders and how we're helping develop them and, and investing in them as individuals and it's a it's a beautiful thing because the more we invest uh, in our people uh, the more we see that they invest in our students and it, it really talk about is. that you're what you're talking about right there matt is what in in the human resource world is engagement Right. People are That's drawn right. engagement. Yep. Yeah. And and so that they're committed, not not um compliant, right? They're they're, they're right. compelled to be a part of it. So I mean, how do you um how do you do that? I mean, is it is it a endless uh revolving door where you're bringing up oh, that guy doesn't like kids or or that that young lady doesn't I mean or what how are you doing that to kind of gauge up front when you're when you're interviewing or oh. when you're you know the inner metrics I feel like is almost, it's almost like cheating because we can read. <laughs> Dude, you're giving us a lot of plop props and plugs, man. We want to make this about you, brother, but thank you. Well, <laughs> I'm telling you, it is, we have every one of our staff our our potential staff members uh, uh, go through that and it will let us know, you know, uh, whether or not they're going to be a good fit. It'll let us know, uh, you know, Okay, the position that they applied for uh, may not be the best role for them, but but uh, here's another role that that might actually be better suited, and uh, and the employee ends up much more engaged and much happier, and so do we. So, um, you know, I, I really am not trying to turn this into a commercial for for the results group, uh, but I do, I do want to share the. Uh, just the impact and the value that we have had and uh, because of the tools and the resources and, and how it's helped us uh, develop our talent, develop the skills of the people. Uh, you know, it, it helps us know uh, what they're really good at. And, and it also lets us know some, some areas that we need to help uh, challenge them and, and help them grow. So, uh, and that's powerful for our staff. Uh, we also have our teenagers have our teenagers take it, and boy, that is eye opening for our students as well to see. Okay, man, uh, you know a lot of our our students really struggle with self worth and confidence, and here it is, uh, you know, on a verified uh, uh, tool that lets them know. No, I actually am good at this. Uh, this is something that that I can. Uh, help grow and develop and and as we're as we're the more we pour into our staff and help them grow the more they pour into our students and help our students grow so, so what kind of growth initiatives do you work on with your full-time staff i mean do you have a regular training each month i mean how does that happen how do you keep them engaged on an ongoing basis and keep them learning we actually have uh uh, a 45 minute tactical portion of every one of our weekly staff meetings 
And then we have another 45 minutes of staff development that we do every, every single week. So uh, we're working on tactics in the first 45 minutes, and then we'll do uh, either some sort of leadership development or some sort of uh, personal uh, and professional development for the other 45 minutes. Uh, yeah, we've had uh, Brian in before to, to train our staff and then are thankful that we've been able to send some of our staff uh, to you as well. And while I've got you on a podcast, I'd like for another commitment to send uh, a couple more of our staff to get trained again. Uh, Anytime, baby. Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> we just got to make sure that we got we got the impact to the wild about the child, man. One hundred. <laughs> and I think too, one thing, um, one things I want to ask you about is you know how you find volunteers. I think one things we've we've been really fulfilled. We'll take leadership teams down to Wildwood, and you think of a staff of eleven. Honest to goodness, man, I'm a little bit shocked at that. Being around you so many years. Just the for the folks listening, they have a full blown like horse arena in these thirty horses, and I mean just that just the number of horses alone and the and the feed and the hay and all this stuff and, and the facilities are beautiful. We'll go down there with senior executives. Heck, we even had uh, a group of officers from an insurance company, and we got them up on the high ropes course. And this is the group of individuals that isn't able to fly on the same airplane because the their insurance and we have these people fifty feet belayed simultaneously. Doing, oh, that uh, was fun. That was a blast. But we'll, awesome. we'll take them down and we'll do work in the in the arena. And these owners and executives fall in love with the ranch. And then either they or their spouse or both. Um, I mean, we had we had some of our, our clients come down there and you know get into looking at you know helping to donate you know upwards you know upper five figures, six figure, just the desire to be a part of something. And what I got so excited about for the listeners, the first time I ever went down to Wildwood. I wanted to go to the, the the office that Matt's sitting in. And when I walked in there, I wanted to see, I didn't want to see, you know, this sweet, lush, you know, plush place. And I walked in there and I'm like, dude, they furnished it from St. Vincent de Paul. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. So the, the, every dime that goes in, I mean, it makes it to the kids. It's it's truly a labor of love. So I think the volunteer piece I've seen literally spread like wildfires. We've had clients you know, literally take their entire retreats down there or their annual sales meetings down there and they'll paint and they'll fix fence. But you have, you have church groups that come out of state and pay like three, four, five hundred $500 to come there to stay and be that labor. You, you wonder if you should throw a straight jacket on them when they show up, because it is crazy to think that uh, people would pay $450 to come down and work their tails off. Um, but in the middle uh, of the, please don't put straight jackets on them because they're some of the most productive people we, uh, we get and, uh, they come down and, and pay us to, to help in our kitchen, to help on our trails, to help with our horses, to help with our kids. It really is incredible to see. And, and that, that started just as we were out recruiting volunteers, they sent a volunteer group down and said, Hey, we get a, a better experience there than we do on a lot of these overseas trips and different things. So would you be okay? We had to pay $3,200 a person to go down to uh, South America. Um, would you be okay if we paid you $450 a person to come and work our tails off? Uh, let me pray about it. Yeah, that Heck sounds yeah. awesome. <laughs> 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 
Well, I think that's something that people miss. I mean, you said in let's like Iowa, right? Where I jokingly say it's a flyover state. There's more deer than humans in this state. <laughs> but you know, how many youth are really at risk? Just give us a quantification number wise, Matt. Just yeah, that's that, that's about that. There's about twenty thousand kids that qualify for our for our services that have been and uh unfortunately child abuse is up and i am child abuse reports through the pandemic were down 60 percent that terrifies me because in times of financial hardship child abuse goes up not down so there's more child abuse happening less of it being reported because they're not around teachers and doctors and the people who would typically uh, report child abuse. Uh, so we we are bracing for, uh, we already have enough demand for our service. We, we like, that's why we're focused on eliminating child abuse so that, uh, uh, you know, we'd repurpose this property and, and use it just to do leadership development and executive uh, development if if we didn't need to use it for uh, helping vulnerable youth, uh, but unfortunately, demand for our services is increasing um, because of what's happened in the pandemic and and all the added stress and strain that that's put on on families as well. So, we we were able to open up this last uh, season, and uh, we had uh, fifteen per- an increase in, by fifteen percent in child abuse reports that we had. And it was not only an increase in uh, frequency, it was also an increase in severity of child abuse. So uh, unfortunately, there's been a lot of work to do and there's uh, a lot more, uh, there's gonna be a lot more work to do now uh, once everybody's back in school and some of those reports begin to come out, uh, we're bracing for, for an influx of demand um unfortunately but uh i'm thankful for uh you know that we've got two sides of our business we've got one that is our nonprofit uh, side and then we also rent out our facility to help pay for uh we do 100 100% scholarships for our youth and uh part of that revenue mix is through renting our facility out to help help sponsor youth to come and be a part of our program. So every event that uh, we're thankful for for you guys and every event that you've held down here, you've, you've actually been able to help uh, uh, kids break that cycle uh, by you coming and doing your own leadership development and uh, and talent development. So to any of our listeners out there, if they wanted to volunteer Obviously, wildwoodhillsranch.org, is that correct? That's the one. Yep, wildwoodhillsranch.org is our website. There's a volunteer tab on that that you can go in and and uh, and start the conversation there. There's Our phone number is on there. Email addresses are on there. So really a lot of ways you could reach out. And But yeah, the website uh, through our volunteer tab is the best. Now, uh, if I wanted to volunteer, I like to let people know. What volunteer or voluntold? Volunteer. (laughs) Are there a few hoops I have to jump through because of the nature of the children we're working with? Yeah, yeah, the more time you want to spend in direct contact with our kids, the more more hoops there are. 
to, with with not only background checks and screenings, but also uh, we make certain that anybody interfacing with our students has the right training and that they're equipped with the right training uh, to be effective with our students in our horse barn. So we have some volunteers that are upwards of 40 hours a week that will come down and, and help out with our horses. And then we also have other volunteers that might come down for a single day of service. So we have really a, a wide a wide range of volunteers for a single day of service that, that are happening while kids aren't in session. You know, uh, we found lots of ways to get people involved that way by helping out with our facilities or in the kitchen or, or different places. And then, uh, but student, the individuals that want to work more hands-on with our students, we take uh, uh, more time both to protect the volunteer and to protect our kids. So give us a success story of one of your students, a student that really went through your program, you got them young, and they turned their life around and are successful now. You know, it it, it really does take a lot of people that uh, pour into our youth. And the one I'm going to talk about is actually somebody that Brian has poured into uh, as well. And Brian has helped grow and develop. So we had a, a young lady from uh, Brian's hometown uh, that really had been through some uh, challenging situations that uh, the number one thing in our kid's life that they have in common is that they don't have uh, their biological dad actively engaged in their life, uh, which I think is one of the biggest, if not the biggest problem globally. It does not bode well for my gender. Oftentimes, we want the 15 minutes of fun uh, that will make the kid, but then we don't want the 18 years of responsibility that comes on the backside uh, of that. Um, so, you know, she uh, grew up without really meeting her dad until she was into her uh, uh, teenage years and, um, you know, had really been through some some hard things and some hard situations. And, you know, she came to us. She was super shy. She wouldn't look you in the eye. She'd stare at her feet when she was talking to you. Uh, we have a, a talent show that happens on Thursday nights, and she said she wanted to get up and sing, which was shocking to me because of how shy she was. So she got. How old to, was she? How old was she in this at this, this time? I mean, this time. Uh, she was actually seven. Okay, there we go. That just puts it in perspective. So yeah, so she was actually seven and. She got up and wanted to try to sing in front of our 150 uh, people that week. And, you know, she got up there for a second. She started crying and ran off the stage in tears. Uh, we had our staff there to help uh, console her and support her. The following year, she was able to get up on stage, but she put her team leader in front of her and she hid behind the team leader and she has an amazing voice. I mean, it was, it was awesome uh, that she got up and did that. But, you know, the year after that, she did it without the, the staff member on stage. And then by the time she was, you know, uh, 16, uh, she went with me to a youth conference. There was 5,000 youth at the conference, and she got up and gave a presentation on stage. And it was in that moment that it dawned on me, this is the same girl that wouldn't look you in the eye, that that uh, didn't have, would have never had the confidence, because people's number one fear is public speaking. 
Absolutely. Uh, death is second. People are more yeah. scared of public speaking than they are death. So she's getting up in front of 5,000 of her, of, of people her age, knocks it out of the park. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and that's when it dawned on me, this is the same girl that was uh, just shy and, and, and wouldn't look in the eye. And, and you know, I, I, I know that uh, our staff and our team played a pivotal role in helping her grow and develop, but, uh, but so did Brian Erzani. Uh, so Brian where is she was, now? Uh, right now, she's working in, in real estate for Keller Williams. She's helping other people grow and develop as, as uh, leaders. She is, uh, she's graduated, she graduated from college in three years, which I didn't even, I didn't even do that. That is uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, just got in and, and she's just a sharp, sharp young lady that uh, is much more than just a contributing member of society. She's a world changer. Now she's what? She's like 26 now or something. Yep. Matt? Married and, uh, and be older than that. Who knows? I'm getting old too. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, Matt, we... um, can I jump back? I want to ask you a question that a follow-up question to what you were talking about before you talked about how you do development every week, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. The 45 minutes are your hires, your full-time hires are that, do they come to you with, a couple years experience at other organizations or are they raw out of college? Typically we're raising homegrown talent. Okay. Uh, there, I, there's, there's, you know, to me, building the farm team is, there's really two paths. You can either go out and pick off other talent and bring it into your organization. That is what I think you should do if your culture is bad. If you've got a bad culture, you need to bring somebody from the outside to come in and help fix your culture. If your culture is good, you are much better off promoting from within and helping grow and develop that talent from from what from my perspective. I so most most of our staff are uh, there, there's many of them that even started as summer staff with us that okay. that weren't even out of college that. Uh, you see, man, they've really they really buy into our mission and the vision, and and are are willing to leverage their their talents and their abilities to uh, help impact the lives of Iowa's most vulnerable youth. They have the right heart for it, and but yeah, a lot of it is we're helping uh, helping our our staff grow and develop. So as as you hire these new folks on, what are the skills? the developmental skills that you find you need to work on the most with them? In other words, what are they not coming to the table with that you see as essential that maybe they haven't learned in life or they haven't learned at school? Honestly, it's uh, (laughs) the biggest one is, is how to handle their finances. That, that is the the biggest piece that I see missing. Um, You know, we go to school to learn how to trade our time for money very rarely do we realize what to do with that money once it's done. But from a skill perspective, it is, you know, some of that we've had people without sales experience that, that we've got to help uh, grow their, their sales techniques and their sales abilities we have. Uh, and, and for us, you know, because of how small our staff is and, and, uh, but how large our impact is, 
Uh, every single person here is a representative of the organization all the time when they're on the clock and when they're off the clock, um, you know, they're still representing our brand and representing our, uh, our organization. So, um, you know, we, we, uh, make certain that we're, our character is constantly growing as well. You know, the, a main focus we really hone on in those 45 minute sessions is, uh, with us leadership being one of our key, uh, focuses. We do a lot. We hone in a lot on leadership and, and specifically servant leadership. Uh, but the economics of leadership is really bad. If you're doing leadership well, you're putting a lot more in than what you get out. Uh, and people say, well, you, you need to get into, you know, uh, the only reason I, I, there's only two reasons that people get into leadership. It's either to, um, they're either in it for themselves or they're in it for others. Those yeah. are the only two reasons that people get into leadership. And, um, I think leaders, we, I don't think we should allow people to lead who, who aren't at least capable of putting other needs as important as their own. Heck yeah. So check this out, Matt. So we find this among like in, in the education world where you've got adults who work and interact with kids and they learn the, the synaptic patterns and talents of being able to handle conflict with children, right? Where you're in a, a you know, a, a parental role, if you will, or you're in a leader or you're in the power role. But one of the things that we find in education is that those adults struggle with managing conflict between adults. They can do it with That's kids, right. right? So talk, do you, are you, do you find that as well, that these individuals are arriving to you fully developed, right, to be who they are, but how do they handle conflict? And is that maybe something that is- It really is the emotional intelligence that is both for our students and our staff. The more we can hone in and help them grow in their, and, and that's honestly, that's the number one thing that employers are telling us that they want. They can teach them how to make widgets. They can teach them how to do uh, the, the hard side of their business. But usually they're, uh, people are fired. Uh, if they don't already come with some emotional intelligence, they get fired before they even got the, have the opportunity to, um, uh, to make widgets. So, uh, either their attitude or, uh, so something we do hone in a lot in is that, uh, helping our, our people grow, uh, in that emotional intelligence and helping our students be more aware of how their attitude is impacting everybody in the environment. And, um, and that's another thing that, you know, the deeper we dive into, uh, leadership growth and leadership development, uh, it, it, you know, each one of us has blind spots and the more we grow as leaders, um, it's, it's really a deeper dive into what some of those blind spots are so that we can be uh, better teammates and, and, and better support to, uh, to our people so that they can be better support to our youth. I agree wholeheartedly that that's the number one thing we hear from employers as well. Yeah. That, um, as the IQ has gone up among those out in the world, their EQ has gone down. Hmm. Wow. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm a firm believer that a lot of it goes back to kids 
don't go out and do the things, I don't know, Brian, like you and I did, and you probably did, Matt. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was told when the sun came up, get outside and go play, right? <laughs> right? And you played outside, you went around the block, we went to the schoolyard, you know, come back for lunch, come back for dinner, and then you better be back in your driveway or in your yard by the time the streetlights <laughs> came on, right? right. Anytime yep. between then, if stuff went down with our friends, if we were playing ball or tennis or whatever, if there was an altercation or somebody didn't agree, we handled it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm see- I'm not seeing that happen today. No, I, I read a Harvard Business Review article that said that 90% of people who receive negative feedback will either quit their job or transfer within 18 months of getting that, that feedback. They figured out how to and somebody trying to help them grow, you know, feedback for us, we tell our students, there's four things you need to do with feedback. Number one, you say, thank you. That's how you get better. That's how you grow. Number two, uh, you think about it. Number three, you uh, see if it applies. And then uh, number four, go back and, and consider the source. And did that person have your best interest or uh or did they have their own best interest in the advice that they were were giving you but uh, those are you know things we talk to our students about but you know honestly a few years ago our culture wasn't tolerant to feedback we we thought we knew better than than you know we'd, we'd spend a lot of time studying and and preparing and getting ready and and how did that uh, what what problems did that cause you, Matt, when you had staff? Because I imagine it's interesting being a not-for-profit, everybody's attracted to it because they've got a really soft heart and they want to help. But the business of running the business has got to be direct, aggressive. We're bootstrapping, shoestringing this sucker. Yep. yep. So, I mean, how was it making that transition? And I guess what problems did it cause? And now that you're in a different environment, talk about the transition. Yeah, the, the problems it caused for us is is – you know, we were all about our uh, our personal growth as long as it didn't include some of that direct feedback. But <laughs> I want uh, grow as long as it doesn't hurt. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So uh, now that we've we're on a migration right now, we are we're past the tolerating feedback. Before we wouldn't tolerate it. We're past the tolerating feedback. We're on a migration towards just being hungry for it. And being being hungry for feedback from our customers, being hungry for feedback from our coworkers, being hungry for feedback uh, from our our you know our supervisors, and because that that is how you grow, that is how you get better. That it, you know to without feedback, you continue to do the same thing over and over again and expect different outcomes. So, um, and. You know, inside those meetings, it's a lot of time that that's oftentimes uh, what we're doing as well is just providing feedback for each other. That's awesome. That is awesome. And and that they're starting to adopt the lessons learned culture is awesome. Yep. So um, I think there's I, a, people. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say every coaching session I do or every uh, session training session I do. Uh, whether you know it's a large group, small group, whatever, I always end with what, what's what's a lesson learned. Coaching sessions, I begin with 
what's a lesson you learned over the last two weeks? Meaning, what's a mistake you made? What's right. something you tried that might not have worked out so great, right? That's and what good. would you do differently now? So you spend most of your time helping others. You know, the number one job of a leader is to grow people. And right. I'm so excited to hear that you spend so much time doing that, not only growing your team, but growing kids as well. And you're constantly giving back, give, give, give. What do you do to sharpen your saw and work on your skills, Matt? I listen to lots of podcasts. I love to devour different books on on leadership. And yeah, there's... Uh, I live about 25 minutes from work, so on the way in, it is usually a professional development podcast that I'll listen to, and then on the way home, uh, it's a personal development. So uh, I listen to uh, a lot of podcasts, and uh, yeah. What's your favorite one right now? Oh, I I I like uh, Craig Groeschel's and Andy Stanley's on on leadership, uh, and then I like Dr. Henry Clouds. Um, with the nature of the people we serve, he he is one of the leading experts on mental health, and and he's just uh, really done a lot of practical stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, there. Uh, those are just some of some of the ones that I listen to, but so do you, sp- you, you mentioned books. Are mm-hmm. you actually reading a book right now? Yes. I'm uh, working through Patrick Lencioni's on the ideal uh, team, team player. So it's, I love, I love simplicity and, and uh, he boils down to the ideal team players, humble, hungry, and smart. And uh, I just think there's a lot of, a lot of truth to that. Best business book you've ever read that you would recommend to all of our listeners? Still good to great. I know it's a it's an oldie but a goodie. It is an the, oldie. The best the best leadership book I have ever read is The Leadership Challenge by Kusas and Postner. Excellent. Is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners about Wildwood Hills Ranch that we haven't asked you today, Matt? Oh boy. We- talked a lot today about that uh you know the i just feel honored and privileged to be a part of our students lives they've uh you know been through some hard things and we can't change our past we can't change what's happened we can only change where we're headed and we can't dismiss the past oftentimes our past performance is is a great indicator of future uh performance but you don't have to get stuck and you don't have to stay in the crazy cycle. Uh, it takes one generation to get things off track and it takes one generation to get things back on track. And the most rewarding and fulfilling thing for me uh, is not when I have helped develop a leader. Uh, it was watching Delane, Cordell, Sasha, and all these other people uh, began to to develop leaders and say, hey, you can't change your past. You can't change what's happened. You can only change where you're going. By the way, here's how I did it. Uh, and th- that's when it started getting really fun and really fulfilling uh, for me is not not necessarily, you know, it, it was watching those leaders step up and help others break the cycle. Well, we are big believers in your cause. 
Um, we've been supporters of Wildwood Hill, Wildwood Hills Ranch uh, for quite a number of years. Um, we take our customers down there for your experiential activities. Mm -hmm. We donate assessments to you guys as well. That's right. And I want to thank you uh, for being our guest today. And for our listeners out there, if you're looking for a place to take your team for experiential activities, if you're looking for a great charity to volunteer for, donate to, be a part of. And if you really wonder where your money really goes, I mean, the biggest problem right now is there's just so many charities out there. And a lot of us wonder where the money goes. And we'll give you firsthand testimony that if you want a place where you know that your dollar is going to go to a child, you know, not in some foundational investment to go off and help people have, you know, amazing dinners, you know, which that's one of the reasons why I hate, you know, just blindly given to charities because I've seen how it's been squandered. I can tell you firsthand, Wild Hills Ranch is the... It's the real deal. Yeah, it's the real deal. And they make a difference. And now we're looking at these 20, you know, 20 somethings that have gone through even early 30s that literally are first time college graduates, high school graduates, big breaking the cycle of, you know, abuse. Of abuse and dysfunction. So yeah, I mean, cannot say enough. If you're listening to this, look them up, wildwoodhillsranch.org. Um, and, you know, sponsor a rancher, get down there, take a look at it, feel the spirit and you'll be hooked. So thank you, yeah. Matt. And my, my only thing to add to that is don't let uh, physical geography get in the way either. Brian and his team have brought people in from Florida and uh, all over the, the country. And, you know, the, uh, you know, selfishly, I'd love to get more people, you know, once people get here and see the place, they fall in love with it. But, yeah, we had that you know, huge I retreat can't... with the, we had like over a hundred and some sales folks down there <laughs> right across the street, that beautiful winery. We had, you know, the buses brought them in. It's actually closer to get to Wildwood Hills Ranch than it is to get almost from the airport to West Des Moines. So you go airport to Wildwood Hills Ranch in the same time it takes you to go from airport to West Des Moines. So you're right, Matt, that's a great point. It's not in the middle of nowhere. It's literally, you know, a diamond that's, that's a stone's throw from the Des Moines airport. All right. Thank you very much, Matt. Oh, thank you both. Appreciate what you do and keep up the good work helping helping people grow their talent and and uh, skills. So thank you. All right, rock and roll.